Welcome to the All Souls Episcopal Parish in Berkeley's Sermon Podcast. This week we hear from Emily Hansen Curran as she preaches from the lectionary, which was Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. As always, you can find more sermons and more information about All Souls on our homepage, which is allsoulsparish.org. Hope to see you around sometime. to start this morning by telling you what I think, uh, what I want this sermon to be about, uh, in part because in case I don't get there, you at least have that. Um, so, so I think these passages are about this. Salvation isn't an event. It's a process. Uh, and that's actually, it's actually more like a cycle of wilderness, repentance, and then forgiveness in order to find a way to salvation. But the way through the cycle isn't always clear, and we often need others to help us get there. So I'd like to talk about wilderness and memory and cycles. First, wilderness. Uh, But actually, I'd like to start with what the wild, or what wilderness is not. An article circulated this week from the New York Times about baptisms. Perhaps some of you read it. Some of you sent it to me. Uh, The reporter was writing about this new fad in baptism, which I think is a really hilarious concept, that there'd be fads. Um, uh, This idea that we're baptizing now in horse troughs and inflatable tubs purchased on Amazon, blown up, and filled for baptisms, accompanied by t-shirts and hashtags and swelling rock music and lights and, heaven forbid, cheering. (laughs) So she talks about these old leaky uh, and expensive baptistries, the built-in tubs as relics of the past. And sort of conclusively, conclusively, at one point in her essay said, baptism is getting a little bit wild. I couldn't disagree with her more. My beef isn't with churches with selfie stations after baptism or the light show during the service. And I mean, we baptize in a horse trough here. My beef is in the reporting because in calling these baptisms wild, she cheapens this idea of the wild and the wilderness. I was exchanging emails with an ex-All Soulsian, Cheryl Fullerton, this week. who was one of the ones who sent me this article, and she told me that her great-great-grandparents were baptized by immersion in Lake Ontario on Christmas Eve in 1835. And she says, despite their frozen clothes were said to suffer no ill effects, so filled with the spirit they were. Now that is wild. To mislabel in this way isn't a simple slip of the tongue. It's a deep and profound misunderstanding of the movement of God. True wilderness is a place that is desolate, abandoned, inhospitable. The places where no one wants to be or go. It is grief, seasons of profound sadness, and a big old giant mistake that feels unredeemable. So next, memory. What's interesting about the lectionary passages, well, except the Philippians one, uh, from today is that they almost all reference each other. Luke 3, 
uh, from our gospel is where we hear about John's call from God. And it's deeply connected to Luke 1, which is the, uh, the song of Zechariah that we sang, where we learn of the circumstances of John's birth. But in Luke 3, uh, Luke 3 references Isaiah 40, and the Malachi passage we read first is connected to Isaiah 40 because it's one of the only other times in the Hebrew scriptures that uh, there's mention of a messenger who is sent to prepare or clear the way for salvation. All of this implies to me that we are meant to make some connections between the Hebrew prophecy of a messenger and this New Testament messenger, John the Baptist. And while my more literal sense self wants to make that a one-for-one connection, I think the connection between these passages is much more interesting than that. So Isaiah 40, uh, the passage referenced in Luke 3, in the NRSV reads differently than it does in Luke. So Isaiah 40, verse 3, says, A voice cries out. Next line. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. According to commentary in the Jewish study Bible, this translation reflects how this passage was originally written and used. The marks used for chanting the text in the synagogue place in the wilderness with prepare the way. The Jewish study Bible translates it this way. A voice rings out. Next line. Clear in the desert or the wilderness a road for the Lord. This is opposed to how it's been translated in Luke, which says the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Next line. Prepare the way of the Lord. This translation makes a lot more sense in Isaiah as chapter 40 in Isaiah is considered one of the turning points in the book. Israel is still in exile, but the prophet moves from judgment to reminding the people of the promises of God, that they will move into a time beyond this wilderness and into God's promises for them. In this context, then, of exile, it seems likely that the Isaiah was simply assuring Israel that they had suffered enough that they no longer needed to wait for God's forgiveness, and that the way was being prepared for their return. This difference in translation is a really small shift in meaning, but it was enough for me to jostle my brain from the literal and into something much more capacious. The slight change in meaning from Luke's translation back to the original Hebrew takes the focus from a specific figure crying out in the wilderness and turns it to a way being prepared, a road being cleared in the desolate places in the wilderness. And this got me thinking, because when I first read through this passage, I was really bothered with my uh, literal reading, this limited, uh, the limited nature of a literal transa- translation of the Hebrew prophecies and Luke's connection to John the Baptist. But perhaps... What Luke was doing in bringing up this old Jewish story of prophecy was recalling or invoking memory. Yes, he was talking about a specific figure, but in doing it this way, he was also recalling a collective memory for his readers of what was lost and of what could be. It's as if Luke was saying, remember when we were in exile and the prophet told us that our suffering would be over? that we would be restored? Yes, this is happening yet again. Luke isn't being nostalgic. He's giving life to memory. 
In the opening essay from uh, Christian Wyman's newest collection of poems called Home, he said this of memory. Memory might not simply be occasioned by the physical world, but actually inhere within it. What that means is that the past isn't inert and sealed off, but volatile, available, and even salvific. I think this memory is meant to save. So next cycle. Uh, there's something else in these passages that stands out to me. It's an important piece tucked into both the Luke passages. And that is this idea that John was sent to prepare the way by proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. It's a key part to what Luke wants his readers to remember. That lost in the wilderness, the way out, the way to salvation, is through. Through repentance. The Greek metanoia, which is a change of heart. For the forgiveness Aphesis, a dismissal or letting go of sin, hamartia, a failure or missing the mark. And now we have a cycle. A story that we cycle through again and again. Lost, in exile, in the wilderness, awaiting salvation. We are shown the way to repentance, to change our lives, and to forgive, to let go of what was and then move into salvation, to hope and restoration. We are always in the wilderness, and we are always being prepared by someone or something to repent and forgive, and we are always being saved. We live in constant cycles of wilderness, waiting, repentance, forgiveness, and restoration. Israel knew it in their time. The New Testament writers knew it in theirs. And we know it now, in ours. I mean, think about your wilderness stories and what it took to be restored. There's one more piece to all this, and it's a thing that happens in all of these texts, which is that salvation is hard to find and it's hard to see. Why? Why is salvation hard to find? I think, in short, because the wilderness is a scary place. It's an overwhelming place. And so a road must be cleared so that we can find the way back in those desolate places, back to salvation and back to hope. Who will prepare that way then? What will that feel like when you're out in that wilderness? I can't be certain but I think it'll feel something like this. Returning to Christian Wyman's uh, introductory essay, he, in this essay, uh, has a written conversation with the last few lines of a poem uh, by Stanislaw Baranczyk called If China. Baranczyk was, was Polish and was blacklisted for his activity in the Polish human rights movement and was refused an exit visa eight times before he was able to leave Poland in 1981. The whole poem is worth reading, but for this purpose, I'm just going to read the last few lines. So it ends like this. Who told you you could settle in? Who told you this or that would last forever? 
Didn't anyone tell you you'll never in the world feel at home here? And Wyman says in response, but someone did tell us, didn't they? Existence whispered in our ear at some point, with or without words, for each of us knows, even if we have never known, that pull to something so replete with being, it seems timeless, wordless, an everlasting omen of what is. In this Advent season, we are meant to remember one part of the cycle. That part where where the way is prepared in the wilderness. This is a time to remember that deep metanoia. What it takes to shift that heavy ship that is our hearts towards letting go of sin. The times we have failed. So that we may be restored to that time so replete with being. Perhaps you are lost right now in a place nobody wants to be. But these words of the prophets are clear. Watch for voices because there is someone, something that will prepare you with a change of heart in order to let go. And you will once again enter into hope, the kind of hope that becomes your home.